0: Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place.
1: Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's
2: going on in the auto world.
0: New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green,
2: electric
1: cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer
2: Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
1: Here's your host, Tom Appel.
2: All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, please give us a visit at consumerguide.com. Be sure to check out our newly minted 2021 Best Buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place if you were looking for a new car or crossover. You also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles we're driving here at Consumer Guide, plus all sorts of other fun car-related stuff. And if you have missed an episode or two, you can. Stream back episodes of the Car Stuff podcast right there on our homepage. Questions or comments for us, check us out or reach us at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That's carstuff at consumerguide.com. All right, let's see who is online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and she's the driving force behind the Drive She Said blog. Hey, Jill. Hey, Jill Simonillo.
1: <laughs> Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. I missed you guys last week
2: you did we had stuff we had business stuff to do
1: you had business stuff to do uh and and meanwhile i was in fact cooking i just wasn't cooking turkey
0: hmm. What, what was the turkey substitute of choice uh
1: the turkey substitute of choice was pasta
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: Because, you know, I had a very Italian Thanksgiving uh, at last week, and, and um, I, I didn't really want to make a 12-pound turkey for just me and my husband. We were observing the stay-at-home order, and uh, so instead, I went with uh, making my dad's uh, spaghetti, his pasta sauce, his meatballs, and, uh, you know, following the, the family recipe, which I have to say, this was probably one of my best efforts uh, and a great way to celebrate Staying at home. <laughs> mm,
2: I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, Jill, did you take pictures of that?
1: Uh, why, yes, I did, in fact, take <laughs> pictures. How would you ever think to ask that question?
2: <laughs> All right. We'll have to get a pic of your Thanksgiving dinner up on the, uh, the Facebook page. Yes. Yes. All right, he is the senior editor here at Consumer Guide. He's president of the Midwest uh, Automotive Media Association and he makes money on the side by hand pinning neckties. Welcome Damon Bell.
0: <laughs> Tom, I, I promise you your uh, I ran into some problems with your order, but I promise you uh, beginning of next week you'll have I'll ship it out to you.
2: Here's the thing about that I ordered I ordered the reindeer driving a Prius which I thought was holiday holiday appropriate, but you're charging me ch- uh, delivery and you're in the next cube over from me.
0: <laughs> hey, uh, I got a, a large backlog of projects this season and and it's first come first serve. So I have to maintain that uh, queue. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Our
2: guest today is Patrick Olson. He is the executive director at Carfax. We'll be talking about vehicle history reports and whatever else is on Patrick's mind. But first, hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Uh, Hyundai made some news this week. What were what were they yakking about?
1: Yeah, they did make some news this week. So um, apparently EV is a thing right now. And. Uh, electric vehicles. Um, I, I feel like a lot of people have been chatting about electric vehicles this week, but Hyundai specifically announced that they are um, creating their first dedicated, um, you know, full electric platform. They're calling it EGMP. gmp um, Yeah. I, I, yeah, mouthful, but, um, so this is going to be for their next generation, uh, Bev lineup and, uh,
0: battery electric vehicle.
1: Yes. Bev. It's and not
0: a lady named Bev. Bev,
1: Bev, Beverly, Bev, Bev lineup. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so this will, this will power their, their, um, next gen electric vehicles. And, you know, we've already talked about Ionic, which is the, um, the new dedicated vehicles that will be all electric so the first vehicle i believe to get this egmp platform is going to be the ionic 5. so um, this is kind of an interesting thing lots of stuff to to dive in here Uh, but just just the quick introduction there's a new platform it's all electric and hyundai is going to be putting it in the ionic 5 soon
2: what's interesting about this i think and you guys tell me if I'm wrong. But I think the, the, the noteworthy thing here is that they chose to tell us about this at all. I think <laughs> the average consumer probably doesn't care how their electric car is made. Right. But here's this, here's this, this announcement about something that is substantial, right? This is new architecture. And, and for people who don't know, the architecture that underpins a vehicle can be extremely pricey to develop on the order of billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. So, so there is a bunch going on here, but but I don't think this announcement matters that much to the general public. What they care about is the end vehicles that are coming. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I believe that these press releases have everything to do with appeasing stockholders.
0: <laughs> hmm. Okay. show that They they are you know geared up and and well positioned for future product
2: right and by now most people even sort of tangentially tangentially involved with the auto industry we've all heard about volkswagen's meb architecture which actually in, in function is probably very similar to this and that it's going to be a platform on which they can put all sorts of different vehicles
0: mm-hmm. and that and that uh scalability is something is a trend that that most automakers, when they announce a, a new generation platform, be it for electric vehicle or uh, traditional gas engine vehicles, they're always talking about modularity and scalability. Right. Where, mm-hmm. you know, a, a compact car is using the same core architecture as a mid size SUV. There, there's lots of, you know, ability to stretch wheelbase width um, and extend that basic core platform to fit. A broader uh, variety in the size of vehicle uh, itself that you might than you might expect.
1: Yeah, well, you know, speaking of scalability, I, I mean, it, if you look into this press release, it says that Hyundai is planning to introduce 23 battery electric vehicle models and sell a million uh you know b- battery electric units worldwide by 2025 so i i mean that that i mean that
0: feels pretty ambitious in, we're, yeah. we're almost in
1: 2021 i mean 2020 yeah. didn't exist that's kind of a wash so yeah. <laughs> um, you know i mean that's coming soon and and i'm assuming because it says hyundai motor group so i'm assuming that some of those 23 models will also be under the kia badge but uh that's that's a lot of vehicles in years 23 and and the other part of that when they say battery electric vehicle i don't know if that means straight all electric 100 percent, or if that will also include plug-in hybrids
2: this seems to suggest jill that they're talking about vehicles on this platform although the way this press release is written who knows but but right. but to your point about the shocking volume is that volkswagen has made very similar projections huge projections for sales and here's the thing and reel me in if you need to uh,
1: <laughs> i'm casting the line right now no <laughs> i'm
2: 100 percent on board with electrification i believe electric uh-huh. cars are going to happen i believe that people are going to accept them eventually and i think we need them to happen i think this all makes sense however it seems like manufacturers may have gotten ahead of demand a little bit Yeah. Last year, not last year last this year 's a wash, as you said, but for two thousand and nineteen, which I guess is last year, the whole planet bought about two million electric vehicles. Hyundai now wants to sell a half a planet 's worth in a few years <laughs> with, with twenty three vehicles they haven 't rolled out yet, those are huge numbers
0: yeah it 's definitely it 's definitely a gamble that all but but more manufacturers are kind of more than dipping a toe into the water. Now they are, they are jumping in more wholeheartedly. And Tom, we've, we've talked about this in recent episodes. Yeah, there is. And and you sort of lamented last week about the Bolt TV that as practical and good and daily driver usable, a car as it is not, a vehicle that really sets anybody's heart afire in terms of styling and overall profile and look even though it's way more fun to drive than you might expect and zippier than you might expect but just around the corner I think we are going to see like with the introduction imp- the imminent introduction uh, of the Mustang Mach E the Ford mm-hmm. Mustang Mach E which is I believe they're already starting the first uh, press drives of that vehicle mm-hmm. that strikes me as one of the first mainstream brand electric vehicles where they are very much aiming for high performance and uh, rakish styling and an enthusiast appeal in addition to the green car credentials and this hyundai press release the thing that one of the things that struck me about it is they said that this new Uh, EGMP platform is rear-wheel drive-based, rear-wheel drive, of course, Mm -hmm. being a more enthusiast-oriented vehicle layout.
2: Yeah. To your point, too, Damon, about about the Bolt and and the Nissan Leaf, too, is that there needs to be, and there now will be, something in between these early adopter kind of EV geek cars like those (laughs) and Tesla. Which sells very expensive cars for people who hate the world and really dislike traditional auto manufacturers <laughs> people hate the world well well hate the hate the traditional business world is what I need to say but okay. th- there's, there's there's the whole Tesla movement just seems to be anti establishment, which is fine, and I'm glad people are buying e v s and Tesla's are fascinating vehicles, no ding on the cars but but I think that the buyer type isn't there yet, or there isn't a car for more mainstream buyers. And I think the Mustang Mach-E is probably the floodgate car. I, I'm really excited about that vehicle because it's going to have yeah. performance. It's going to be a crossover, so it's functional. It's going to cost half as much as some Teslas. That might be the vehicle that really gets mainstream buyers into EVs.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, So, I... I- I want to interject I guess maybe a little bit of a problem here and and I'm like living in the city not necessarily having a house that I could put a, a fast charge you know home charger in I mean yeah. do you really think that, like I think the hindrance of People adopting EVs mainstream is how do you charge your vehicle? Like, yeah, okay, you have it at home, but what if you just need to power up really quick for a road trip? And, you know, so in some ways, I think the press release also addressed that. I, I don't know that the um, technical capability is quite there on a large scale at the moment, but um, they do say that you, you eventually with a full, you'll be able to get up to about eighty percent within eighteen minutes of a charge. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I feel like I read someplace else. Um, I was reading a couple of articles about this um, where you could get sixty miles of range in five minutes. Now, to me, that that could be. potentially potentially. potentially the game changer of widespread EV adoption is, you know, the ability to get enough range to get yourself home in the time that it would take you to fill up your gas tank, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And Joe, I mean, great point, because I think we're looking at two stages here. The, The Porsche Taycan, for example, which is an all electric small sedan that is selling very well. It's also almost 200 grand in top form. Um, can charge very, very quickly too. And what what Hyundai's talking about here is is eight hundred volt charging, which mm-hmm. I think is Super uncommon, if not uh-huh. unavailable as yet. Right now, we have Level 1, Level 2, Level 3 charging, right? Level 1 is plugging into a wall outlet. Level 2 is you putting in a charger at home, which you can charge your car overnight. And Level 3 is faster. You yeah. can go to the grocery store and pick up a pretty good charge in 20, 30 minutes if you can find a, a Level 3 charger. <laughs> there. Right. What we talking about is something faster than that. And yeah. that's not really available yet. So for people who do not have a home or access to charging, they're not going to get in on this first wave. We're still waiting for that faster charging infrastructure to show up because, yeah, if you can go fill your car with electricity as fast as you could have filled your old car with gas, everything's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I think that they're setting the stage for that with this, I hope. So I thought that was interesting.
2: Yeah, I think that as we see more and more press releases like this, and we learn about the plans of other manufacturers, um, everyone's getting ready for that. And whether or not their mm-hmm. vehicles are going to accept that, they call it 800-volt charging, mm-hmm. whether or not they're going to accept that right away or for the next generation, I think that that's a barrier to maybe a half of the population getting into EVs.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: But I want to get back to something Damon said about these cars being rear-wheel drive. The Volkswagen MEB platform, which is very similar to this, and coming underneath the Volkswagen ID4, which is due in the States fairly soon, also rear drive. Yeah. So does this mean that Americans need to learn to drive again? (laughs)
0: Yeah, (laughs) they're used to you know several decades worth of front drive being the dominant uh, vehicle layout. We'll see. I you know the the typical electric vehicle platform with those low mounted batteries, uh, the weight and uh, center of gravity is lower. Mm-hmm. I, guess I, I personally have not had enough experience driving EV, pure EVs in Chicago's icy cold winters to to compare how they uh, stack up with uh, your traditional front drive vehicle. Well, as I've mentioned on this
2: show before, I did drive the Volkswagen, I'm sorry, the BMW i3 uh, in the snow, and I found it to be both entertaining and almost scary. <laughs> <laughs> because that was rear drive on a very short yeah. wheelbase with all sorts of immediate electric torque. So so the back end could come out pretty quickly.
0: Very very slim
2: tires too on that I three. Yeah. Small contact patch. The good news though is that that um all of these Hyundai's will be available with four wheel drive, all wheel drive pretty easily. So yeah. if you're in the uh if you're in the snow belt, probably not big a deal. So this is a big deal. This is Hyundai's. Do we ever learn what, what EGMP stands for?
1: I, no. <laughs> I, I, yeah, no. I, I just see E Gramp or E Gimp or E. You know, whenever I it's, look at that.
0: It's Electric Global Modular Platform.
1: Oh, that's so easy. There you go. Okay, it makes total sense. Global yes. Modular Platform. Okay.
2: Right. Jill, however, I'm glad you said eGimp.
1: <laughs> oh, that's what, yeah, that's where my head is. That was which is a, not which nice.
2: is a better marketing name, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, all sorts of cars coming on this platform that we'll be talking about at some point in the future. But uh, at this point, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Patrick Olson of Carfax. Stick around.
1: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
2: All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, this is the part of the show where I strongly suggest you follow me on Twitter. I am car guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. If you see a fun, cool, rare, or strange car on the road, post it on Twitter with the Car Spotter hashtag, and I will share that with my followers. All right. He is the award-winning journalist and executive editor at Carfax, the online car shopping and data site. He has led the editorial teams at both Consumer Report and Cars.com. And before that, he spent a decade at the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast, Patrick Olson.
3: Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me.
2: Patrick, good to have you here. You are now with Carfax, which is a fascinating organization that I think most consumers need to know a little bit more about. I think we've seen Carfax commercials and the Car Fox, but for people who don't know, tell us tell us what a Carfax report is and, and why that matters.
3: Sure. So the Carfax report is a little bit like a uh, medical report on you, right? It goes through your entire history. So we monitor and track when you have work done on your car, so oil changes or transmission work or whatever. We track, um, you know, if your car has been in an accident. Um, We also keep an eye on, you know, when you registered it, you know, all these sorts of data points that can build for you as an owner, really kind of a good message to whoever you're trying to sell your car to down the road, show that you've kept up the maintenance um, and it's really it's, it's very unique there's a lot of our competitors use Carfax information um, but for us you know if you if you look for a used car in Carfax for example, every listing on our site comes with a free Carfax report so you can see the medical condition of all these other cars that you're considering as well so it gets very granular there's a ton of detail in there and <clears throat> My data folks tell me we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 24 billion, with a B, uh, data records, that we use wow. to compiling those reports. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
2: So, the interesting thing about Carfax reports, I think, is, is that, uh, let's just call this the decade of Carfax. And, and what I mean by that is, when I first started seeing Carfax ads... It was mostly aimed at consumers, but it seems now that consumers have become more empowered. And if they are looking for a vehicle, they can pretty much demand one from the seller. Is that that something you're finding to be the case? Absolutely. I
3: think for a lot of consumers, to them, it's a red flag if the seller won't. If I mean, for consumers, it's a red flag if the seller won't provide them with a fact right? They want to know that they know everything about that. You know, in an age of online dating, it is sort of the automotive equivalent, right? You want to know right. all the things you could possibly know, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I know we, when my husband and I, we went, we bought a used vehicle a couple of years ago, and the dealer just automatically provided it for us. So we didn't even have to go and search for it. They, they, they were very upfront about it, and we're like, here you go. Here's the health history of your vehicle.
3: Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why we, we provide them for free in our listings is to help dealers build that sense of authority and accountability. It's, it's very uh-huh. important to consumers to know that they're getting all the details that they need.
1: Yeah.
2: I think one of the things that propelled Carfax into the, into the public mind was was a couple of big floods, maybe 10, 15 years ago, yeah. where everyone was worried about water damage or damaged cars and where they came from. And, and Carfax was pretty good at the time, and this was sort of early in their ability to do so, at sort of looking for things like, like um, tidal washing. And, and uh, yes. I think that that's, that's one of those more severe things that you could look for on there. But there's little things, too. And I love now that maintenance shows up. Yeah, and, I
3: mean, that's an excellent point, Tom. Um, the flood damage, we look for all sorts of, um, you know, tidal washing is a problem. And for those who don't know what tidal washing is, you can buy a car in a state like uh, I'm making this up, Illinois, which has put a flood damage label on your car's title. You can take it to a state like Missouri, which doesn't have a field for that information, retitle it there, and all of a sudden that information about flood damage is gone. But we also yeah. track things like odometer fraud, right? So we can tell by based on you know, you take your car regularly for oil changes, and the odometer is noted at each of those visits. Well, suddenly if your next one seems to be several thousand miles less than your previous one, we'll flag that as a potential odometer fraud violation. Um, so there's all sorts of things we're, we're keeping an eye out for, looking at logic to apply to the data we're getting to, to warn consumers about what's going on.
2: Interesting. Now, I have a Carfax report right in front of me now, and this is actually from my dad's car. He bought this a few months ago, and he bought a 2018 uh, Chrysler 300, and and low miles, clean condition, well-maintained. But here is a question. It had three owners. As far as you guys know, is multiple owners a red flag of any sort? It's not
3: necessarily a red flag, right? It could be. It depends on you know, what the car was used for. Um, I would, if I were looking at a car with three owners, I would also look at the mileage. You know, it is, it is you know, it's a, a Chrysler 300 is a large, comfortable car. If there is an unusually high number of miles, so you assume about fifteen thousand miles a year is the average. So if you're over fifty, sixty thousand miles, I'd start to wonder, is this carbon used as an Uber or as a you know as a library car? <laughs> it might make me a little concerned, but on the flip side, those guys have got to maintain those cars if they want to keep them going. But three owners since 2018, I would have some questions about why those previous owners had decided to move on.
0: It's well, interesting to it's interesting to me. I, I'm looking at that uh, exact same report that Tom is, and the uh, it's pretty clear from the ownership history that the second owner was probably a dealer who purchased the car. At whatever means and then flipped it pretty quickly uh, just a reseller so that again that illustrates the level of granularity that the uh, vehicle history report goes to I'm looking at the the owner two on this on this report it says sixteen days. Yeah. So that yeah. was clearly that was yeah. probably a dealer. So in this particular case, that second owner doesn't doesn't concern me too much because it was probably just a dealer, bought it and flipped right. it to make a, a quick profit. Well, what if the
2: problem wasn't that it was a dealer, but like a strange odor that wouldn't go <laughs>
0: <laughs> and sixteen days was all that owner could take of it. <laughs> and interesting and again, interestingly, uh mileage uh the last reported odometer reading with owner two, uh twelve thousand three hundred fifty miles, with owner three uh twelve thousand three hundred sixty nine. So probably at the time of purchase, yeah, it, it I, I'm guessing that it probably wasn't on owner two's in owner two's dealer lot or in their possession for very very long maybe that uh that less than 20 miles is just something of a test drive
3: yeah or moving around from lot to lot or from auction to lot or whatever sure right
2: right so patrick if you're selling a car what 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 is your best advice to someone trying to sell a car
3: Well, so what I would say is take a look at your Carfax report months before you're ready to sell it. So what you want to do is make sure you're getting credit for all of the service you've got. We have 60-some-odd thousand service shops signed up around the country, but that's not everyone, So you want to make sure that if you've had other work done, that it's reflected on your Carfax history report. So if you get our uh, Carfax Car Care app, you can you can put in your own information about when you oil know oil else done, and you can even upload the receipt from that um, to prove to future potential buyers that you've had the work done, and here's the receipt for it. So you can maintain that on your own. The other thing, is I would look just to make sure that somewhere along the lines some information, some wires didn't get crossed. For example, I had a car that I was selling and I discovered that Carfax thought it had two owners, even though I was the first owner at 14 miles until I was ready to sell it. I contacted them online, sent them uh, the bill of sale and some of the most recent registration and two weeks later it was cleared up. So it's good to take a look at it early to make sure that all of the information on it is accurate. We certainly do have a, uh, a robust group of people who are into uh people's claims and people's you know if they have raised questions about their uh, vehicle history report we can help them out with that
2: so so patrick if i read a carfax report and i've got a car i really like but i find out it's been in an accident should i walk away from that or or is that necessarily a bad situation
3: in in the past, I think a lot of people would do exactly that, Tom, that they would see an accident they'd be like, I don't want someone else's problems. What's nice is um, in the last year or so, we've really added a lot of severity scale uh, to how we report accident damage on Carfax. So we can go from um, minor to moderate to severe. And you know there's very often for example my wife had an incident with her car a couple of years back where someone backed into the you know the passenger side rear fender and it just needed to be you know pulled back out and painted and that showed up on our carfax report as minor damage and it's there's a big difference right so if you have minor damage to a car it can cost you about 500 bucks on resale but if you've got major damage it can cost you a couple thousand dollars So, I would say, if I was a shopper and I saw damage and I saw it was finer, I would use that as a, you know, a a bargaining point with the dealer. I would talk about, well, you know, it's it's had some damage, so let's talk about the price. Um, And then, of course, if it's had severe damage, I, for one, would, you know be cautious
2: about that. Interesting. So how, the logistics of this are amazing to me, and I have no idea how you guys do this. (laughs) How is it that you determine the severity of an accident?
3: Well, so we work with a lot of uh, insurance companies and uh, reporting agencies to, they're the ones who, you know, take, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, they take note of what type of damage it is. We also, when these things get repaired, we get a sense from the repair shops of how extensive Damage was and then you know, crunching it a, a just literally ton of data allows us to be able to, you know, assign that severity damage level.
1: So I have a question for you. And, you know, this goes back to when my husband and I were, were buying our car. And, you know, like I said, the dealers for every vehicle we were looking at, we were only looking at like Volkswagen GTIs with a manual transmission. And so there were probably like mm-hmm. five of them in the Chicago area at the time that we were looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so we went to every dealer, we drove them all and every, every dealership provided us. A Carfax report. Well, on one of the Carfax reports, it was, like, low mileage. It looked like a good buy, but there was, like, a three-year gap in any reporting. So we were just like, well, that's kind of hinky, and we walked away from that. But, um, I mean, how, do you, how would you explain, um, like, a, a gap, and is that something you should be concerned about?
3: Well, so I would take a look at the particular car you were looking at, which is a sort of a unicorn, right? You're looking for a VW with a stick ship because you want a sporty drive. Mm -hmm. So it's entirely possible that the previous owner is like you guys in that they really care about what they're driving they won't really want to maintain it it's entirely possible for those three years they did their own oil changes right uh-huh. But that's where using our car care app you can report I did this work myself I changed you know, the sparks I did the, the tune up I did whatever um, and include receipts for the, for the parts you bought and things like that to, to show that you really did it and you're not just saying it that's, you know, yeah, a three year gap I certainly would want to know about it and if I could find out from the dealer who the previous owner was and find out on a car like that I'd be I wouldn't be surprised to find it with someone who was, you know, meticulously taking care of the car on their own. But that would raise a lot of questions for me that I would want answers for before I decided to spend my money there.
1: Okay. Now, now, and, and that was kind of what we felt. And we found another vehicle that was, you know, properly reported yeah. on and everything like that. But it was just like, yeah, we, we you know, it, it just raised a red flag for us. So but that's, that's interesting. Well, I never thought about the idea of somebody doing their own work.
3: Yeah, and I, I think that's exactly why Carfax reports are so important. Is It's data points that, you know, all of us on this uh, podcast have been buying cars for 20 years. And 20 years ago, it was a pig in a poke, right? You had no idea <laughs> what had happened before. You had no clue, you know. Um, Carfax had you know data 20 years ago but not anywhere near what they have today and there's just so much more rich detail today but um, it's also incumbent to go look for it right I mean I once bought a car from a, a friend of a friend um, who swore the thing was great and it turned out to cost me a lot of money And so you know, I mean, the other thing too is I would say whenever you're buying a used car even having looked at the Carfax report, get a mechanic to put it up on the Mm -hmm. left. So Mm -hmm. Carfax can tell you the history, but that mechanic can tell you what's going on right then and there, and look for things that you'll never be able to see from the ground, right? So I would always caution that Carfax reports are great, but go the extra step, get a mechanic to investigate any used car that you want to buy.
2: Patrick, you had mentioned Uber, and I think that's a great thing for people to be thinking about when they buy a used car, but what about cars that come out of rental fleets? Can that be identified on a Carfax report? (laughs)
3: It can, actually. We we identify cars that um, we either know or believe to have been in a rental fleet or used for commercial purposes. And we'll flag that, right? So if you look at a uh, Carfax vehicle history report at the top, there's a box that says personal use. Um, so it'll either say personal use or commercial. Um, and mm-hmm. so we will definitely flag if it's been used in a rental fleet or for commercial purposes. Now, I will say though that if I'm an Uber driver if I'm an Uber driver, I'm not sure if we'll know that, but we might have some idea from the high mileage that yeah that you put on the car.
2: Yeah. In, in your experience, cars that come out of rental fleets, are those something to worry about? I know a lot of people do worry about it, but do they do they prove to be less reliable or, or more worn?
3: To be, to be honest, I don't know about the data on whether they're less reliable. There there's certainly two sides to the argument, right? So um, I've, I've rented cars I've seen other people rent cars I've seen how the vast majority of people who rent cars tend to treat those cars as if they're cars they don't own so that's not the greatest thing. <laughs> <laughs> on, the, <laughs> on the flip side of that though is all of these rental car companies have you know, bays of mechanics that they're trying to keep these cars running for as long as they can in as good a shape as they can, right? You know, if you get a lot of cars are because they're broken down or you're not getting paid because they're not on the road, that's a bad thing. So, rental car companies absolutely put a ton of money into making sure that these cars are maintained. So, I think you know, in some ways it's it's sort of 50 50. If you can get your head wrapped around that, you don't mind that x number of people have been in the car that's great um but rental car companies certainly have an incentive to keep those cars as well maintained as they can
2: yeah i I have actually my father has purchased a number of vehicles at auction that that came from um through the rental uh, auction system and actually they turned out to be just fine for him but jill you have a question
1: you know, I, I just wanted to drive home a small point. Um, you mentioned that these Carfax reports are free. And I, I feel like once upon a time they weren't free. Well, and so maybe people would avoid.
3: <laughs> well, so let me clear that up. They're okay. free if you're, looking at a, if you're looking at a used car on Carfax.com and you're looking at our listings. Every okay. listing there comes with a free Carfax report for that listing. If you want a Carfax report for your own car, then we will charge you for that.
1: And, and if I'm like looking at a car, can I get the carfax mm-hmm. for free or do I have to pay for it so like say I've been to you know my friend of a friend who has this great deal for me um, can, like can I uh, look that up for free or is there a charge associated with that and what would that charge be?
3: There you so there's it's for one carfax report it's 20 bucks okay. um, I'm sorry strike that for one carfax report it's 40 bucks. For three, it's sixty bucks, which actually makes a lot of sense when you are looking to buy a car, right? You can check out multiple mm-hmm. vehicles, check out multiple reports, and then you can get six if you're if you're really thorough. You can get six for a hundred bucks. So 40 forty, forty per twenty, then and then seventeen, depending on how many you buy. The thing I would say, though, for, you know, as we talked about earlier, from anyone who's trying to sell me a car, I would just say to them, hey, show me the Carfax. That's
1: Good practice.
2: People can go to Carfax.com and find all this stuff, but the other thing they can find there, and I think we need to tie this into your title of executive editor, you guys do reviews of cars. Hmm.
3: Yes, we we review cars. We write all sorts of stories about how to maintain cars, buying advice. Um, And actually, we really ramped it up in the last year. We published um, almost 500 stories just in the last year. Um, Wow. And before, we were publishing only about 100 stories a year. So... Um, we've added to the team, and we have a, a big team of freelance um, auto experts who help us write. Um, but we certainly have been churning um, it out, and we do, and we also review new cars as well, uh, what we call test drives.
2: So is writing about or reviewing a used car a very different thing? I mean, what should people be looking for in a used car review that's different from a new car review?
3: Well, so we don't review used cars at all. So we just we review the new cars that are in the fleet like all of you guys do. So but we'll you know, we'll give you suggestions on how to test drive a used car. And the thing I would say in test driving a used car primarily for me is turn off the radio and listen, right? Listen mm-hmm. for um, the weird noise. Make sure you can feel for the odd vibration, right? There are things that the four of us all know that we've been in so many cars that it becomes apparent when a wheel's out of alignment or when you hear cupping on a tire or, you know, just any oddness to the drive. And that's really, I think, for a lot of used car buyers, the test drive. They're like, "Oh, it, it, it's it's zippy, and it's and it's, you know the radio is excellent." And you're like, "No, <laughs> how does it how does it feel?" And honestly, how does it smell? Like I helped a friend of my drive, <laughs> and we, we popped the hood, and I'm like, "I shouldn't be smelling this much oil burn from the short uh-huh. drive we just took, right?" Yeah. And in fact, we discovered that it needed a valve job. Um, but you know, if you've been driving for a while, you have a sense of what you should be feeling. You should be testing the air conditioning and the heating, no matter what season it is, to make mm-hmm. sure that it's doing what you expect expected to do. A lot of people discover all of a sudden when they buy a car in the winter the ac was out they had no idea i could try to test it so
2: well patrick we 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 are flat out of time but we thank you for joining us today all the stuff uh the reviews and the vehicle history reports they can be had at carfax.com correct that is correct all right he's patrick golson and he is the executive editor at carfax.com you can check out all their stuff at carfax.com we're going to take a break and when we come back it's quiz time stick around
1: Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast.
2: All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. Jill, you're active on Popberry. How many, uh, how can the folks follow you on Popberry?
1: Popberry. Uh, Popberry. I don't know that that is actually a social media that I have heard of, um, but I am active on pretty much uh, every other social media that people have heard of. Oh, good uh, <laughs> At Jill Simonello. So it's just my name, uh, you know, J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O, uh, and uh, I've I've just started a TikTok account. So if anybody is on TikTok and wants to see video shorts on uh car stuff, uh that that is a good place to follow me. I've started putting a lot of little 15-second videos out there about features on cars that I'm driving. So All
2: right, sounds good. Yeah. Hey Damon, Damon, you're a berry popper. What's the deal? <laughs>
0: Are you secretly like, like registering all these names with the patent <laughs> office in the hopes that you're oh, going to launch your own social media platform someday? With yeah. that's exactly what. <laughs> <laughs> I am not on Popberry Uh I am on Twitter at Damon Bell likes cars. Sounds good. Uh, why, Damon? Why should people follow you? Because I post interesting things. Okay, <laughs> I just I said didn't, I, was, I didn't mean to go on defensive. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't being defensive. Did I sound defensive? I'm sorry if I came off defensive. No, no, no. But yes, I just, just, uh, just recently uh, we checked in. I checked in a 2021 Chevy Trailblazer RS into our Consumer Guide test fleet, and it came in one of the most eye-catching colors I've seen in recent memory, uh, called Oasis Blue. Yeah, I like it. Yes, and to me, it looks like very, very close to 1957 Chevy Tropical Turquoise. So I've heard so many people complain that oh, car colors are today car colors today are so boring. Uh, but there are plenty of interesting colors out there, and if you if you think car colors today are boring, then buy the vehicles that come with interesting colors when they're offered. Um, and yes, this if if you go back to my Twitter account and scroll back a little bit, you can find pictures of this Oasis Blue Trailblazer, very very bright color, very eye catching the only bummer
2: about color on cars isn't that manufacturers don't produce fun colors for cars it's that dealers don't stock them yeah Mm -hmm. because they they tend to stock things that will sell quickly so if you want a fun car color be patient and order the car you want Mm -hmm. Uh, because that's that seems to be the way to get one all right kids you know what time
0: it is Quiz time it's quiz. <laughs> yes. I was
1: going to say time for another cup of coffee, but okay.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. It's Obviously, quiz. I don't need coffee.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Clearly.
2: Today's topic is base engines. The Consumer Guide Car Stuff Power Quiz is brought to you by Car Guy Tom. Follow Tom <laughs> on Twitter, won't you? <laughs> All right, because Bill has whined about it for a little bit. Uh, Damon, you go first today.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. Are you
2: ready? Sure. All right, Damon. What is the base engine in the 2021 Ford Explorer? Is it a two liter turbo, a 2.3 liter turbo, a 2.7 liter V6, or a 1.3 liter, two rotor turbocharged Winkle?
0: Uh, Well, I can can discount that last one. Can you? (laughs) I'm sorry, can you go through the first three again?
2: Yeah, two liter turbo, two, three turbo, or two, seven turbo V6. Oh,
0: God, you are so he's they, mean. Because they, yes, he's very mean. And this, this has the Explorer's base engine roster has kind of, or, or engine roster has gone through so many flips and floops over the past half a decade that, because for, uh, it's the floops that get you. Yeah, yeah. It's the mm-hmm. floops and the flops, yes. Yeah. Um <laughs> Boy. I will I I will say that Oh, All right, Jill, same question to you.
3: Uh,
1: yeah, I, I I think it's so the first two are four cylinder, right? And then the second or the third one you said was a V six?
2: Yeah, two oh four, two three four and a two seven V six.
1: I I I think it's a four. Um, I'm going to guess two, three, though.
2: Jill, you're correct. Ah. Yeah, folks, 2.3 liter EcoBoost 4. That is the engine, also uh, the base engine in the Mustang. Ah. All right. Question two, Jill, this goes to you first. Jill, what is the base and only engine in the 2020 Mitsubishi Mirage G4? (laughs) Is it a 1.2 liter three-cylinder, a 1.3 liter three-cylinder, a 1.4 liter V4-cylinder, uh, four or a 6.2 liter V8? <laughs>
1: I'm going to totally say V8. That would be um, something to no. see. Yeah, uh, that's a
2: great conversion.
1: And, and what model year of Mirage did you say 2020. this 2020.
2: I don't think we have 2021 information yet.
1: Got it. And uh, for, first off, let me utter my um, surprise that the Mirage still exists. There you so, wait, give me the first two again because it's one of those.
2: A 1.2 liter three cylinder or a 1.3 liter three cylinder.
1: I'm going to go with a 1.3 liter three cylinder. All
2: right, Damon. Same question to you.
0: <sighs> um. Yes, like Jill, it's one of those. It's one of those three cylinders. Just to be interesting, I'll say the 1.2. Good that you did. Now you're tied up.
2: It's <laughs> oh, right, the, the score is tied 1-1. The question goes to Damon. Damon, what is the base engine in the 2021 Toyota Tundra? This is Toyota's big, full-size mm. pickup. Is it a 4-liter V6, a 4.6-liter V8, a 5.7-liter V8, or an 8-liter V10? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know they just dropped an engine from the Tundra lineup, not too long ago, so'm I'm, I'm going to say the five seven v eight. All right, Jill, same question to you.
1: All right, can you can you give me those again?
2: Four liter v six, four point six liter v eight, five point seven liter v eight, or eight liter V ten.
1: Yeah, it's definitely, I, well, I'm not going to say definitely. I, I think it's probably one of the middle two. So the you said the 4.6 and the 5.7 are both V8s. Uh-huh. Um, and what was the, you said a 4.0 liter V6? Yep. For the first one? Yes. Yeah. Oh, see, now I'm almost tempted to say the V6 because Toyota does things like that. Um, they put an engine in there that you wouldn't think that they would. Um for fuel efficiency and reliability sake. Uh, uh, oof. I mm, Okay, uh I'm gonna uh Okay. I gotta make a decision. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Um, you
2: do you do do I, I know,
1: I know, I know, I know.
2: Um i your type is not free, Jill.
1: <laughs> I know. Four four point, four point six. Four point six. I'm gonna go with the four
2: point six. It's a good guess, but no, they're down to just one engine now for the Tundra, oh. and that's the five point seven liter V eight.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: so, Damon, good ha- point.
0: I'm happy yes. I remembered right. <laughs> All right. Good Shall job. Like good, job good job on that stumper, though, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you measure a question's success on how long we have to deliberate on it. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was okay. a four liter V six,
2: and there was a four point six liter V yes. eight. Yes.
0: So, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's why you're so
2: diabolical and tricky. So, Jill, this one's a little easier, I think. Are you ready?
1: <laughs> Which means it's not going to be easier. Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. Jill, what was the base engine in the 1989 Yugo GVX?
1: <laughs> yeah. Hmm.
2: <laughs> well, you know what? I actually wrote that wrong. It's the Yugo GV. I'm looking for the base <laughs> engine in the Yugo GV.
1: And you're not going to give me any options?
2: I thought you just knew it. Um <laughs>
1: before my time but go ahead
2: all right one liter three-cylinder 1.1 liter four-cylinder 1.6 liter four-cylinder or a 5.7 liter v8 <laughs> i love
1: I
0: your last joke uh, inclusions there
1: i i don't even know what a yugo tv is um but it, it it sounds like there's a joke in there somewhere um what, what was the first one you said again
2: a one-liter three-cylinder, a one point one-liter four-cylinder, or a one point six-liter four-cylinder. And the Yugo was something of a joke. For people who don't remember the Yugo, it was imported from Yugoslavia. It was a terrible little car that was based on the Fiat 124, sold here for a couple of years, rusted by the time you got it home.
1: Then the- I'm gonna go I'm gonna go with the one-liter three-cylinder. <laughs>
2: David, same question to you. One liter three-cylinder, 1.1 four-cylinder,
0: 1.6 liter four-cylinder. I can't remember if they had three cylinders back then, so I'm going to say the 1.1 liter four. Good guess.
2: All, All right. right. Yeah, the base engine was a 52-horsepower 1.1 liter four-cylinder <laughs> meted only to a four-speed manual. <gasps> oh, a manual. Oh, wow. I don't remember that it was. Wow. 52-horsepower. Yeah, there was an available 1.3 liter four because you know power.
0: <laughs> but the Hugo's the big claim to fame when it first came here was that w- it was some bargain basement price. Was it like was it thirty nine ninety five? Okay, yeah. <laughs> And that was that was mid to late '80s, so that was really something that they could offer a car that cheap. It was. It was funny. I went back to Consumer Guide's original review of the
2: 1989 Yugo GVX. The vehicle we drove, however, came to seventy two hundred dollars. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. I was, remember. Uh, our our actual summation of that vehicle was buy a Tercel. Yeah.
0: I, I recall a, uh, either a motor trend or a car and driver, some, some period, uh, like minor crash test of the, of a Yugo versus the, the, competitive vehicles of the time and they did like a five mile an hour bumper tap test (laughs) and on almost every car it was like you know a a scratched bumper or you know a paint touch-up was required on the yugo it it ended up being like (laughs) twelve hundred dollars damage insane insanely expensive fix for a very very minor uh fender bender (laughs) all right We're running out of time here, kids. So we got to go quick through this last
2: question. Damon, what is the base engine in the 2011 Mercedes-Benz S-Class? That's Mercedes' big sedan. Is it a two-liter turbo, a three-liter turbo V6, a normally aspirated, meaning non-turbo, three-point-five-liter V6, or a four-liter
0: turbo V8? Oh boy! What they? Would they? God, I'll, I'll... against. Against my better judgment, I'm gonna say that that naturally aspirated V six. The three point five, all right. Jill, same question to you. Two liter turbo, three liter
2: turbo V six, normally aspirated three point five liter V six or a four liter turbo?
1: Yeah, I have to say my first inclination is to agree with you, Damon, um, but since I'm already losing by a lot, uh, I, I, will, I will I will keep mixing it up, and I'll say the 4-liter the V8.
2: No, but that's available. The base <laughs> engine is a 3-liter turbo. No points for either oh, of you. Um, the base class is the S450 now with a 3-liter turbo. That's 362 horse for a cool $95,000. All right. Damon has won this one. Damon, an autographed copy of the quiz will be waiting on your desk, but we do have the bonus question, which counts for nothing, but is always fun. Jill, you start.
1: Don't kiss a guy in a Christmas sweater.
2: <laughs> nothing to do. No, I'm not going to do anything <laughs> about movies today. Okay. All right, Jill, according to the internet movie database and other sources, uh, <laughs> the following celebrities is the oldest. Are you ready? Okay. William Shatner, Dolly Parton, Charlie Watts, or Bob Newhart? Oh, my gosh.
1: I don't know who Charlie Watts is, so that's what's going to throw oh. me the loo. Oh,
2: wow. Oh, you so fired.
1: Oh. Uh, who, uh, okay. Charlie so, is the
2: drummer for the Rolling Stones.
1: Oh, yeah. So it's a toss-up, then, between him and Bob Newhart. Um, I'll go with Bob Newhart.
2: All right. She says Bob Newhart. Damon, who is <laughs> older? William Shatner, Dolly Parton, Charlie Watts, or Bob Newhart? Oh,
0: I know William Shatner is is a lot no older than chicken. you would think. He, what's that? I said no spring chicken. Yes. <laughs> I know Shatner is a lot older than you might think he is, but I don't know if he's older than Bob Newhart, so I think I'm going to say Bob Newhart as well.
2: You're both correct. Yeah. All
0: right. I, Bob
2: Newhart I, I, is 91.
1: Yeah, I looked that up actually recently. So I'm like, I know Dolly Parton is not 91 and I know uh William Shatner is not 91, but the uh, you know, the the lead singer or whatever the guy from Charlie Watts, uh, that I don't know.
2: <laughs> you're tailing me. Uh, William Shatner is 89, Charlie Watts is 79, wow, and Dolly Shatner's Parton is 74. So Charlie Watts will be the first member of the Stones to turn 80. Hey, Damon, in the moment or two we have left,
0: tell us what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog. Uh, Got a good selection of sporty car test vehicle reviews this week. We've got a 2020 Kia Forte GT, a uh, interesting Corolla, the sportiest version of a Corolla. It's the SE Apex Edition, uh, sports suspension in that. And then we've got a... Uh, Nissan Z car, the 370Z Nismo, kind of the last of this uh, generation uh, before the purport, the uh, advertised 400Z should debut in the near future. So a little bit of a last of a breed performance car there.
2: That Corolla Apex, the Toyota Corolla Apex is an interesting car in that it's sporty,
0: but it's kind of a half step towards sportiness, right? There's no horsepower bump. Well, yeah, no horsepower, but an extremely aggressive suspension tune. It's probably one of the stiffest riding vehicles we've had in our fleet in recent memory. Um, So kind of a fast and furious tuner car attitude with the suspension stiffness. But yes, you're right. No uh, juiced up engine under the hood. Actually, the Corolla Corolla Apex Edition and the Forte GT, uh, fantastic uh, two vehicles to cross shop because the base price of or the as tested price of vo- both of those very close together, and the forte GT does get you a two hundred one horsepower turbo engine
2: which is actually pretty brisk now now the apex two there's an interesting story about the manual
0: transmission in that yeah, there's very limited number. I believe Toyota's only making hundred and twenty uh apex editions with the manual transmission, so if you want one of those you'll have to to jump on it. All right, so our reviews of those live at CG
2: Daily Drive. You can just go to consumerguide.com and hit the blog tab, go there, and you'll find everything. And again, if you've ever missed an episode of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast, for whatever crazy reason, you can download them anywhere or just go to our homepage, and they're all there. You can just stream them there. Well, guys, thank you for a fun episode. Special thanks to Patrick Olson of Carfax. He was great to talk to. We will have him back someday. Thanks to Jill Simonello. Thanks to Damon Bell. Special thanks to Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT AM 820 in Chicago. As always, thanks to my radio mentor, Steve and Johnny. If you want to talk to us, drop us a line at CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com. That's CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com. Hey, let's talk about cars again next week.